So replacing Tim and Pat is the one only Mike Meltzer. How are you doing tonight? How are you doing say Mike? Doing well. Can you hear me okay, Matt? Yeah, you sound beautiful. Excellent. I, I hooked it up to where you could like I'm I'm going through my microphone. So I think I did it successfully somehow. Yeah, you sound great. You sound like the Mike Meltzer podcast right now. That's tremendous. That's that's exactly what I was going for. You can see my setup in the background, like my disorganized scenario I've got going on. Yeah, I love it. So that's the first thing I want to ask you is I know you you have the podcast with uh with you know Landry Locker and Cody Stutes, the group text podcast, but I miss the the Mike Meltzer podcast. I miss yes. after a Texans game, you rambling by yourself. And the last that's one fair. you did with the the Texans quarterback situation was probably my favorite podcast I ever listened to. It was a good encapsulation <laughs> of the mess since that uh, Bill Bryan came in 2014. Well, I appreciate that. So my so here's the here's the deal. I, I'm actually gonna have a new episode, not Texans related, but like uh in a few weeks. So I'm my idea in starting it was I wanted to do like a sports law focused podcast uh, because of my like legal stuff and then also my uh, just kind of like blending the two together. Um, so I felt kind of going through it over the last year. I'm like, I feel like I'm kind of like mixing different things. So I wanted to kind of keep it in one lane. So I'm going to keep like my like more of the uh, Houston sports stuff with Cody and Landry on the in the group chat podcast which you guys can check out it is uh the stutes cast on like apple and all those different places you get podcasts and uh i will be re uh do, i will be like relaunching my podcast the supreme court has a big ruling on amateurism where they have oral arguments in a couple of weeks and people think it might be the biggest case since the sports gambling one a few weeks ago so i'm gonna have like a preview of that in like a week and a half i know that's not as sexy as like the Deshaun stuff. I feel so. I feel guilty because you you enjoyed that, and so I feel I feel like I'm like failing people. Uh, but yeah. So, but you can get all of my Texans thoughts both now and with Cody and Landry as well. Yeah, I haven't checked that one out yet, just because I try not to muddy up my own brain with other people's thoughts and, oh, that's and words smart. And opinions. And uh, but I, always, I would always listen to years after I finished mine, as I kind of like like at the end, like once I finished like record mine during the week and. And that sort of thing too. But it's one of those things like you do whatever you want to do. And that's usually what the best stuff is going to be. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I. it's tricky with, with the opinion business because like I'm interested in people's opinions, but there's a danger in like when you listen to too much, then you become sort of like you're like an amalgamation of all these different things that you're listening to. And yet at the same time, you also want to be informed about what people are saying. So you have kind of a, have like a pulse of what's going on. So it's yeah. a delicate balance. And it's also like you meet people, I guess, like have a, it enriches like the, this, this, I guess the aspect of like, you record a podcast and writing things like that, like who you meet and who you talk to is part of the fun of it as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yes, totally agreed. All right. So they left all talking about Watson possibly sitting on retirement. Is there any legal stance at all you could take to <laughs> the Watson contract dispute if he decides to uh, sit out for a year or two years or three years or anything? I mean, I think it'd be pretty simple. Like, you know, he's got a contract and it's an NFL contract. So it's been, you know, negotiated over the course of not just like his negotiation, but over the, the years and the decades. And so there are specific penalties that would happen. Like, obviously, people know about if he misses mini camp, if he misses each day of training camp, if he misses a preseason game or a couple of them, if, if he misses regular season games, I don't think there's a fine. It's just that he doesn't get paid those weekly game checks. And as those guys were mentioning, like the contract, if he doesn't show up by like whatever it is week, you know, 
eight, nine, ten, then his contract basically tolls for a year. So everything is kind of in place uh, from that standpoint, as far as like, you know, he'd be breaching the contract, but there are like specific penalties that would be in place. I don't think that Deshaun retiring is something that is like, like, I don't think it would ever get to that point. So I, I think I'm with you on that. Um, so what, so where do you stand on this? Do you think Watson gets traded and if he gets traded, do you think he gets traded next year or this year before the draft? I think he will get traded, but I'm really not sure exactly how they're going to handle it. Um, I think there's been way too much made in the last couple of weeks about like, well, they need to trade him now. I don't think they have to do anything now. The only date that really matters is April 29th, which is the day of the draft. And that date's a big date because if you trade Deshaun before then, then what's critical for Houston is that they know what picks they're going to be getting. And the market is going to be the best for Watson before the draft because you have four to six to eight teams that like really need quarterbacks or at the very least are looking to upgrade. After that point, while I still, still think his value is pretty high, like inherently whoever takes, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, I don't think they're going to go ahead and turn around and then like trade those guys for somebody else in that intervening time period. So one thing, Matt, I really agree with Mike Tannenbaum on, and he's been on ESPN like the last week or so saying this, maybe a week and a half. He's like, hey, the Texans need to make a decision by the draft. But if they don't trade him by the draft, then they need to be organizationally committed to not trading him before the end of the 2021 regular season. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how ugly it gets, they've got to be willing to stay the course and put that line in the sand. Yeah, I completely agree. Because like you mentioned, you can't trade Watson without knowing what draft picks you're going to get for him. And there's not like an assortment of players that really kind of, I guess, work in the same way just because of the way the contracts kind of add up um, with it as well too. But I think a lot of the stuff about Watson, they need to trade him now. They need to trade him now. I think it's just like people like trying to get attention or – also, like trying to get the news cycle moving, you know, because if yep. Watson gets traded, it's a good, it's a great story, and it you know creates the press from and trying to get some more mo- more momentum for it to occur. I think Watson's gonna be traded. I didn't think he was until they hired David Coley. And I then- feel the same as you, yeah, like that because that like I, I keep thinking about that because it's like when you hire David Coley, especially based on like the way he is, you feel like hey, they hired him because they know this is going to be like a massive rebuild and they just need to like a bright, shiny face to put in front of reporters every single day. Yeah. They need somebody to take them to pizza after they lose, you know, 41 to 17 to the, the Colts and the, that sort of thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I was actually thinking while driving today, I'm like, you know, we were joking around like you and I were joking about like, what if they had hired like Gerard Mayo? Like, what if they had hired these guys? And I'm like, honestly, no offense to David Cully, but like I would be, I, it, it is not a has it is not me going too far to say I would be substantially happier if Gerard Mayo was the head coach of this team. I would too. Because like he's in I'm guessing he's like I think Gerard's like my age. He's like 34, 35. Okay. So I don't want to be I'm not usually ageist, but like I am ageist when it comes to coaches and this particular situation. Like if David Culley was like was 40, I'd feel differently about him. Like I just don't want a 65-year-old head coach like this in charge of a rebuild. So if it's Gerard Mayo, if it was Josh McCown, I'd actually feel more optimistic about this situation. But I feel like any game that you play where David Culley is the head coach is basically a pointless game. That's how I feel. 
Yeah, and it's like David Coley, not only is a 65-year-old head coach, he's a 65-year-old first-time head coach. Yep. And, uh, and like, of course the Ravens love him, like we kind of joked around about before, because they got two third-round picks out of David Coley being <laughs> hard in Houston. Of yeah. course, they, nobody has anything but great things to say about him uh, there, too. So, like, I think there's three different options the Texans have that do trade Watson. They could try to trade him for a young franchise quarterback like, you know, Tua, like Kyler Murray, like Justin Herbert. If, you know, Arizona or Los Angeles would even want to go that route to begin with, they could trade him for draft capital, which Miami offers, which the Jets offer as well, too. Um, or they could also trade him to a team like Carolina, who has young defensive talent. So they could rebuild their entire defense by getting, you know, Brian Burns and Derek Brown and Jeremy mm -hmm. Chin and uh, Yeter Gross Matos or whatever combination it would take, maybe some draft picks too. What do you think would be the best option for the Texans if they were to trade Deshaun Watson? I think it's Justin Herbert, and I think it's like not even close, honestly. Um, I think Herbert, like if you could pick any young quarterback in the league, you know, other than Watson, I think Herbert would be the one I would pick even over Josh Allen, even over Lamar Jackson. And honestly, I'm at the point where, and I think a lot of people would disagree, I'd rather trade Deshaun Watson straight up for Herbert, even over trading him to like the Jets for like four first round picks. Because while having Herbert instead of Watson like might be, you know, a downgrade, um, because I've got three years of his rookie deal and he played so well last season, at least I know I, I you know they don't they don't screw up that situation. Like I've got a guy for the next 10, 12, 15 years, whatever it is, to slowly build a team around him. Um, unless Nick Casario was like super sold on um, Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I just think you look at Herbert, you look at how young he is and how well he played last season. I'll put it this way. If and when the Texans decide as an organization, like, hey, unfortunately, we have to trade Deshaun. If Nick Casario doesn't call Tom Telesco and at least offer, like, inquire about Justin Herbert, I think he should be fired immediately. Like that's a call that I, I think 100% has to be made. It absolutely has to be made. Yeah. I, I I'm with you as well too, that I think Herbert's the best option. And from like a, you know, like a trade perspective on what uh, is the best package you get for him. Cause I think Herbert's a transcendent quarterback. He's one of the you know, three best deep ball throwers in the league. He has great athleticism. He's really strong in the pocket, really can't be phased at all. And also he just looks super young too. Like he looks like, he can be in a commercial for Stridex, you know, he still has some acne, acne. and yeah. he can still get stronger and faster and everything else. And I think he has, he has a ton of uh, untapped potential. He's like, I think he could be a transcendent or a quarterback too. Uh, but if you're the chargers, would you trade Herbert for Watson straight up? See, that's what I'm not sure. Like that I imagine is a, that's an ownership decision, obviously. And the selling point would be, Hey, we're in Los Angeles. Nobody in this city really is a fan of our team we're like by far the second team in the market. And it's not like the, it's not like the, uh, <laughs> the Rams are the equivalent of the Lakers, by the way, this is like a distant second to a team. That's like not super popular unto itself. Um, it's a massive market where it's hard to get people to buy in as like a diehard football fan. But I think Deshaun would change that. Um, he is a big star. And while you lose the three years with Herbert, it's like, yeah, you're paying Deshaun, a lot of money, which I guess would technically decrease his like value compared to what Herbert is for the next three years. But you look at it this way. You look at like the way Deshaun's contract is set up. You wouldn't have to pay a signing bonus, obviously, because mm -hmm. you'd be trading for him. And, you know, other than like a roster bonus in a couple of years, you're basically paying Watson, you know, look at it, 35 million, then 37 million in 2023 combining 
the base and the roster bonus, then like 32 million, 32 million. Like if you're paying Deshaun Watson, $32 million in 2024, and I'm guessing that the pandemic will be over by then, uh, <laughs> like God willing, the NFL is going to have a higher salary cap. Like Matt, when you're paying Deshaun $32 million in 2024, like who knows what that salary cap is going to be? They're finalizing their TV deals now. So that contract, assuming Deshaun can stay healthy, is still going to be a really good value. And I think the Chargers would be in good shape to win now. They have what could be a, a, a one of these like young defensive geniuses in Brandon Steely. They still have the two edge rushers. Uh, they're going to get back Derwin James. They have really good. I think they have pretty good offensive skill position talent with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. I think that Deshaun, you know, could use bigger bodied receivers like that. He's going to make everybody better. And yes, they can win with Herbert. Like that's why I like Herbert a lot. But Deshaun in that market. That's why you'd be making that trade because this is a bona fide stud. There are no weaknesses in the well. There aren't many weaknesses in Deshaun's game, and he would theoretically for the Chargers be able to get you know more fans, tickets, sponsorships, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think so too. And really, really like I think from a football decision, Watson for Herbert's a hard one to make from the Chargers just because of the seller cap perspective of it. But yeah. from like a business decision though for a Chargers franchise that. You know, has problems like even getting any tickets, even before, even they first moved to Los Angeles and playing in a soccer stadium and not having any Chargers fans at all. I think Watson's the surest path to that. And yes. I think it's come far and away ahead of the Rams too, because it's not like people really love the Rams necessarily either. And also the Chargers have a ton of cap space as well this year. Like they could handle taking on Watson's contract and paying him you know, $15.4 million this year and $30 million next year. Um, and however it is, it bounces up going forward. And the other thing too with this contract ending whenever he's 29 you're in a spot where like, yeah, you can resign Watson when he's 29 to an eight-year contract after that, after things, after everything's gone well, if it has potentially too. And I think it's a great spot where you can be a Super Bowl contender you know, right away with Watson or even without Watson. But I think it requires some better investment of your resources if you don't have Watson, um, if they decide just to stick with Herbert, if that's not even a trade op, uh, possibility at all either. Yeah, I'm just kind of, you know, I'm looking at their cap situation. I think they're like, their cap space is 25 right now, 25 million. And I, I was reading reports that like they were looking to trade Trey Turner or do something like whatever they do, they do with him, that's going to save another 11. Uh, they can like work out whether it's like get rid of, getting rid of guys or like restructuring like Linval Joseph, they can save money. Chris Harris, they can save money. Uh, you know, they have a lot of different ways that they could save money and they're already under the cap by a pretty decent amount. It's basically that, if you traded for Watson going from, you know, going to a $15 million cap hit from Herbert, which is, you know, his cap hit is like, is like six. So you basically get that differential of nine and it would, you know, hurt your ability a little bit to build around Watson the next couple of years. But if you can keep a lot of your draft picks, like they, I think they would be in very good shape overall. Yeah. I think they could even, I think they would even look into packaging, you know, May, I don't think a first-round pick for the Chargers maybe it's that important as well, too. They trade for Watson. You know, like getting a young guy who may not necessarily impact their team all that much. The one problem the Chargers have, though, of course, is their offensive line is really bad. And it's also like all, they're all free agents, too. Dan Feeney's not very good, but he's a free agent. Forrest Lamp isn't very good. He's a free agent. Uh, Sam Tevy's not – or Tevy's not very good. He's a free agent. And so you're having not only rebuilding an offensive line, but you don't have, like, the bad bodies in there to come off with the bases of them, too. <laughs> I actually put a – uh, with Cody and Landry, I put together like the most depressing list of uh, possible guys the Texans could sign this offseason. Okay. <laughs> Forrest Lamp was actually on that list. I was trying to find like, <laughs> I was trying to find guys who people liked 
in the draft coming in who have not played well for one reason or another. And he was on this very, uh, very sad list. Yeah, he's a very sad player to watch because he's big, but he doesn't know how to play football, and he's not very strong either. And I think <laughs> I think Lamp is also a perfect guy for Seattle because Seattle loves former first or second round offensive linemen that yeah. some place like Nick Martin. We talked about. I think Nick Martin be perfect in Seattle. That makes as sense a, as a one year guy that they can give four million dollars to, like the Texans did yesterday with uh, Justin Britt. Yeah, just swapping tongues for a little bit, you know. Basically, that is. Did you like did you like that move? I haven't I haven't I can't pretend like I've studied Justin Britt. No, I, I have no I have no opinion on it all whatsoever. Um I mean like it's it's like it's the I think it's just the type of contract they're probably gonna give out. A lot of one year kind of short contracts and yes. hoping they hit on one or two guys though. Uh, and let, let, me, let me give you my list. This is how depressing this list is. Uh and you can you can stop me over wherever you want. Here's my Texans list of free agents. John Ross. Zay Jones. <laughs> I will, okay, I will say I do like Zay Jones because he caught this Lego route once in the Reds. I'm like, that was beautiful. Whenever he was there in Buffalo, go. and uh, whenever it's one of those things like you see a player have like one great play, and you can never kind of let him out. You know, oh yeah, you always held out some sort of hope for him because of that. I feel you on that. Uh, Jake Butt, Ted Karras, <laughs> Forrest Lamp, Jermaine Effetti, Dietrich Wise, Takara, uh, Tack McKinley. Derek Rivers, Jordan Lewis, and Malik Hooker. Um, we, we talked about Hooker today because <laughs> uh, Hooker in a Levy Smith defense, just because like the Colts are a hard team, I think, to play safety for because they play like that cover seven defense, all the man match stuff. And so you're kind of like, you're doing like route recognition, not just like I cover the space. And I think and, like a lot of this stuff, like his body was there, but I don't think his brain let him put, put him in the spot where he needed to be. I think they're a much simpler Levy Smith defense. I think he'd be good. Going from like one one half of the field to the sideline consistently, yeah. I think he'd be okay at that. I mean that that's the kind of sign they should be looking for, like someone who came into the league with a lot of hype, who is disappointed for whatever reason, but has a lot of talent. I was reading Albert Breer, if you trust what he writes, but but you know Albert's obviously an Ohio State guy. And he was saying that, like in his mind, Malik Hooker played in I guess it would have been 2016 as a safety at Ohio State that he basically had one of the best seasons he had ever seen of any player in one year during Urban Meyer's tenure at Ohio State. Hmm. Uh, so that was that was his view on it. I thought that was kind of an interesting point, given that obviously they had a lot of talented players there. Yeah, and he had that one interception against the Chargers like week one, 2019, that one-handed pick in the end zone. Yes. And like you can never let that sort of thing go. It's a Zay Jones Lego <laughs> route. Uh, yep. I, have, I have a few players for you you may like. I really like okay. Cam Sims. He's like 6'5 and plays oh, yeah. Washington. He's yeah, like he's a not big, bad. tall, physical receiver. Uh, he's an undrafted free agent. Like he's good after the catch, you know. And the Texans don't have a big, tall receiver like that, unless yep. you count like Jordan Akins or Darren Fells. But at the wide receiver position, they don't. I like Alan Butler a lot too. I think he's not that great, like against big combo blocks, but he's good against like outside zone. He's really good in stunts. I like Dewan Smoot. He's another guy who had three bad years in Jacksonville. Had one really good year rushing inside and outside. Um, and he was like their only source of pass, pass rushing production last year too. And maybe he can be had for like two years, $12 million or something. But yeah, like that's the idea. Like you get young guys with, uh, they don't take a whole lot of salary cap space. So you can roll it over for next year too. And try to find like the Nick Needham's in the world and gives me a lot of tickets as possible. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking the same thing. Like if you're the Texans, like, I mean, it is going to be fascinating. Like 
how they approach free agency because I don't think there's going to be anything on the Deshaun movement up until like April at the earliest. And so like, how do they even sell guys on coming to Houston? Like I know obviously with money and jobs, which, you know, are in short supply. I'm just kind of curious, like, like what the selling point with, with um, Casario and Cully is going to be. I imagine you look at it like I would like to take more flyers on upside guys on defense just because, you know, long term, I'm just looking at I always look at our lads because they have the best like visual for me of like the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I don't know who's going to be here for the long term. The long term I'll define as like two to three years. Like, I guess Zach Cunningham and Justin Reed, but that's not like a definite. Otherwise, it's, you know, open holes all over the place. So I would be focusing on getting anybody defensively with upside like that's how i would strategically approach this approach this if i was nick casario yeah there isn't like the defense is in a spot where they can go all in on one player like like lawson's out of the picture or core is out of the picture oh yeah uh, william jackson third's out of the picture and especially like a team without deshaun watson too like there really is no need at all to like go all in on one player it's all about kind of like you know buying the the five dollar dvds at the back of the walmart is what you what you have available for you um, yes. This offseason from their from their perspective too. But yeah, another guy I like I like Eric Wilson from Minnesota a lot, especially if he plays in a defense that requires the linebackers have like coverage responsibilities. He did that in you know Minnesota's cover seven defense, and uh, he was really good in coverage responsibilities. The pretty good run stopper. And I him, like that. And him and uh, Eric Kendricks were awesome last year in Minnesota, and so I think that's another option there. I like AJ Johnson too from Denver, but he's just old. He's already thirty years old and. Yeah, he's yep. more of a guy for like you know maybe the Raiders or so than for Houston. You know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of looking at this. Are, are you? Uh, you know, I know a lot of people. And you guys had a great post on Battle Red Blog about the decision to bring back David Johnson, and I thought your group think was really good on that. Um, is anybody surprised? I mean, I know we're still it, from the NFL insiders. They feel like this next week is going to be like a, a huge bloodletting across the NFL. Are you surprised they have not like? released Bernard McKinney or Darren Fells or Brandon Dunn, which seems to be like really easy moves that any of us could make if we were running this team. I'm a little bit. We had a, we had a Twitter question last night where somebody said they felt good that there weren't any more cuts because they think they're trying to pursue trades for these players instead. But I mean, I don't like, I like McKinney <laughs> a lot as a run blocker, but I couldn't really imagine by trading thing for him, like for a $60 yeah. contract at all. But I think he'll have a spot somewhere. I, I'm, I think they're going to probably do the same thing. Though. They're just going to cut these guys. I could definitely see Darren Fells being here next year, though. Uh, oh, Brandon God. Dunn is a possibility. Like, Dunn's paid $4 million. Like He's the 14th highest-paid player on this team or something like that. He was bad at nose tackle in 2019, bad nose tackle last year. I could see him being here as well, too. But I think McKinney's gone for sure. And I what? think it would be good for like you know the Raiders or the Patriots or a team with the Hold back on. defense. Why would they keep Darren Fells? Like, what? What is the I have no argument for it? I just feel it. <laughs> I just feel it is all. You just feel it, okay? Because yeah. I'm looking at this like they could save two point three million dollars. Now I understand like this is all like, this is like monopoly money. Where like if you sign somebody else, like you're not gonna get like another tight end for free. You're gonna have to pay them some of that money. But it's like, hey, this dude's a big guy who doesn't block, and he had one of these like you know, very lucky high variance. Like I caught seven touchdowns in red zone scenarios in 2019, but like Pharaoh Brown was good this past season, even if he was trolling fans on Twitter, I don't care about that. And you got to <laughs> figure out like, you know, what Kahali can provide. And I, and I think obviously keeping Akins for a fourth year to see like what you have in him, I think makes sense. 
Um, yeah, to me, like my big thing, and we've talked a lot about this, a lot about this with Cody and Landry. My issue with the O'Brien philosophy of 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 uh, like roster development and building, among other things, is you got to be constantly churning the bottom of the roster. Like I love that clip that Rivers McCown always plays of like O'Brien the combine being like. We've really succeeded at like this one area of free agency of like bringing in the um, the the what the Tyrell Adams is and like the Taiwan Jones of the world. I'm like, dude, what the fuck? Like, I don't know if I can curse, but I'm like, dude, like, uh, like these are these are replaceable like lug nuts, basically. Like, no offense to these guys, but like you constantly need to be churning the bottom of the roster. And yes, if you happen to find somebody, yeah, keep them with like decent but not great money. But, like, do not keep running DeAndre Carter out there. Like, don't re-sign Darren Fells because you're, what he provides is not what he was billed to be. And you need to be constantly churning. Like, you need to find more guys like Farrell Brown. You don't, like, find guys and keep them around for, like, three or four years at that level of the roster unless they have the ability to, like, rise above that level. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think, like, going back to Darren Fells, too, not only did they re-sign him, but they wanted him to be a focal point of the offense with yep. that drag flat read option. Like they ran that a, a ton against Baltimore, a ton against Kansas City, a ton against uh, Pittsburgh, and had zero success with it at all whatsoever. <laughs> uh, so whenever they resign David Johnson, does this like give you any cause for concern about Nick Casario's ability to be a good general manager and like re- and if the Texans do rebuild, you know, like get the most you can out of Watts and be able to you know guide the rebuild to build the next good Texans team. It is the first thing that he has done in the offseason to where I'm like, boy, that is not a good decision. That is like not helping your team whatsoever. And obviously, people are going to point to Easterby being pot committed in the Hopkins trade. And I think that's definitely a part of it. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's the whole thing. I have no idea. Maybe, maybe Cal has some influence on that. I, I don't know. But it's like, okay, I understand how you can work through the math and tell me, well, Mike, he was owed $2.1 million. We're only paying him 2.5 or 2.4 more. So that's what we're so we're really only paying him that differential. But I'm looking at this, Matt, and I'm saying, who's going to be here in a year or two years or three years? One guy who definitively is not going to be here is David Johnson. That's why it makes no sense, especially when they're keeping like Buddy Howell and Dontrell Hilliard, Hilliard. Like they are desperate for young, fresh blood at running back. And I'd love for them to be able to end up with like a James Robinson like the Jaguars were last year as an undrafted guy. Now, you know way more about the X's and O's than I, than I do. I am kind of curious with what happened late in the season where he started running well behind like their backup tackles, which is kind of weird. But like, I guess, could you make the argument that what Tim Kelly started to do in December when he like split him out wide and, and featured him, could they do more of that? Um, yeah, let me just ask you this. Like, could they do more of that to make him a more effective player? And that, I mean, that's what happened. He had that one really good game against the Bengals. And uh, it was really just the result of the fact that what Tim Kelly did was just the basic thing that we've asked for Bill O'Brien to do over those years. Run four wide receiver, five wide receiver spe- sets and have De- Deshaun Watson operate out of the gun in a more of a spread offense instead of running these like two tight end sets that don't work very well and constantly running this set up, you know, a deep passing game that isn't required at all whatsoever when you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson. And so just by doing that, you know, they played the Bengals who had bad linebacker play and they got them into five, five, bo- five man boxes, six man boxes, and they create a lot of rushing lanes for David Johnson. David Johnson's not a back that can carry an offense like Bill O'Brien tried to have him do in the first four weeks of the season. 
but he's like a complimentary back where, yeah, there's five guys in the box. He audible to a run play and you're in like a one running back four wide receiver set, but that works. And that's what worked in that Bengals game. and was able to kind of create space, but that was more about Watson as a pass from the passing game. They had anything to do with David Johnson all whatsoever last year. That makes sense. And that's my biggest issue. Like the only way you could really sell it is if, is if Nick Casario was like, Hey, I think this guy was drastically mis misused last season, in which case you'd be like, uh, okay, well, you're bringing back the same damn offensive coordinator. And I do want to ask you about Tim Kelly at some point, but like ultimately David Johnson would be maybe the quote unquote right fit for a team. That's like looking for an extra year out of a running back when they have a couple of guys for a team that's rebuilding. The bottom line is this. David Johnson is not going to be here in 2022 and certainly not 2023. Therefore, he should absolutely unequivocally not be on this team in 2021. So like, do I think it makes me question Casario as a general manager overall? Not really just because I don't think it's going to matter long term. Like this is the mm -hmm. kind of thing that like in a year or two is like completely not going to matter. But it is an abjectly at this point wrong decision for where this franchise is right now. Yeah, and even if it lets and like this is still a team too that's saying all the right things that Watson's our quarterback, Watson's our quarterback, Watson's our quarterback. So they're making this decision based on this idea that Watson's their quarterback and paying, you know, David Johnson a cap of eight million dollars this year for the least important position on the football team, just because he's what they got back in the DeAndre Hopkins trade is you know, yes. completely absurd. And I think it also shows though, like I know like Jack E should be nobody knows exactly what he is. He's this like malicious figure now, like a, a good uh punching back for all the problems that the franchise has. But I do think the decision to keep David Johnson shows that no matter what Nick Casario said in their press conferences, he has some level of influence over personnel decisions because that's the only argument you can come up with for why they kept David Johnson here at all whatsoever. Well, put it this way, like Nick Casario is a New England guy, obviously. He worked for Belichick for 20 years. Would Bill Belichick have kept David Johnson around this season? No, not at all. Like not at all. Um, and, and so I, I agree with you. It's it's very hard to look at that move and not come to the conclusion that, hey, Jack Easterby still has a pretty prominent role in maybe not making the decisions, but certainly influencing Nick yeah. Casario in some of the decisions that he makes. Yeah, it doesn't. I know uh, our pal diehard Chris said, you know, it shows that Easterby has like final control over personnel decisions. I don't think it shows that, but it shows that he has some influence over the roster. And even if he has like a small influence, that's not a situation that he should have it all. And it also goes outright against like everything they said previously in their press conferences too. Yes, I totally agree. And one random thing I wanted to bring up is like they hired this, um, the, the Dylan Thompson guy to be like another character yeah. coach. Like at one point I want to make about that. Like, I know that I'm just bringing this up randomly and maybe like getting us off track, but I think sometimes what happens in sports, there's a lot of like frog and boiling water sort of things. And by the frog and boiling water, it's like the whole thing, like the frog, if you put it in like, you know, 30 degrees, it'll do nothing. If, if you put it into 100 degrees, it'll jump out. But like if you slowly increase the temperature, it'll just like sit there and die. I don't know if that I don't even know if that's true of the frog, but you get the concept. Like we look at this and we're like, well, they hired Dylan Thompson as a character coach. This shows that Jack Easterby still has massive control in the organization. And I'm like, yes, you're right. But here, but can we zoom out and just bring this up? If you're on the Texans, like if you play professional football, if you're like Titus Howard or somebody like that, and you're like decent at what you do and you've got a lot of talent, like why the hell are they bringing in a guy to be a character coach? This team just went four and 12 this past season with a top four quarterback in the NFL. Like what 
you need to bring in like when you are in a very competitive profession, like professional sports, your job is to get a lot of talent, a lot of badasses in the building and do everything in your power to put them in the best position to succeed. Like simply put, that's the job. Why are you bringing in guys who are character like character coaches? I'm all about like career services people or people to help people help athletes, you know, with off field stuff, because I get it. You go from ma- you know being poor and making a lot of money and it's hard and you have family and like I-, I get you need support staff for that. But this kind of hire doesn't feel like that sort of hire, which J.J. Moses kind of seemed to be, you know, before they fired him. It's like, hey. Instead of bringing in a character coach, can you bring in like another guy to fix a running game that was like 32nd in DVOA? Like it's a football team. It is it is a business of a football team, not some sort of like whatever the hell they're trying to do right now. So that that's what annoys me. And I wanted to rant about that. Yeah, it's I mean, it's more of a baptism than it is like a actual football team law ways where they're trying to, I guess, like exert their influence in other things on these people instead of like what matters, which is getting good football players to win football games. And the, the football itself has taken a backseat to you know, the culture and how they win games. And Steph kind of talked about the, she was on this morning. She kind of talked about the um, season ticket letter, uh, season ticket letter that she got. And it said that it's not just about winning football games, it's about winning football games our way, you know? So they're completely like indebted to, not only do you have to win football games, but you have to win them in, you know, a clean, you know, uh, missionary style way that is the way it should look. It makes us feel good about after the fact. But the weird part about that is that like this has not been an issue with this franchise. I mean, ever exactly. since I'm yeah, I mean, ever since I moved to Houston 10 years ago, like they don't have guys getting arrested. They don't have guys getting in off field trouble. Like I would sit East to be in Cal in a room and I'd be like, dude, like, yeah, these are professional athletes, like not to make sweeping generalizations, but like some guys are going to have kids out of wedlock. Guess what? People like normal adults have that people are going like you're a single guy who's making a lot of money. Some guys are going to want to like not settle down and like be the man about town. But like as long as they're not doing anything illegal, then it's just part of the deal. And it's like you want to win. You want to do it your way. Like this has not been like having bad character guys has never really been an issue for the Texans franchise in the last 20 years, essentially, or 19 years. Yeah. And yeah, I completely agree. It's not like they have guys driving drunk and everything. The The worst yep. thing I think they did character wise was they smoked synthetic marijuana in the hotel room after a yeah. meeting against Kansas like, city. The KC three. Yeah. And like, that was the worst thing that I guess like character wise they've ever done, you know? And so I think it's just more like a clash of ideals. since it's actually a problem. And I think, I think it also is really funny that they went, they went up 24-0 against Kansas City. They got beat in the Colts in the wild card round the year before. Where they went down 21-0 in that game. And they're, after giving up 41, 41 points to the Chiefs as well, too, their answer to that wasn't develop a better offensive system around Deshaun Watson, get better players, improve on defense. Their answer was uh, lose DJ Reader, cut Tayshawn Gibson, sign Eric Murray, and then fix the culture. And like they looked yeah. at this as a cultural issue, not a football issue. And now the talent's been seeped out of the team and the spot that they're in now. Well, I think that this is where you and I are kind of aligned because I think you and I focus a lot on Bill O'Brien's very critical role in all this. And this is not to um, not to diminish Easterby's role, but like so much of it comes down to O'Brien and what he wrecked on this franchise from April 2019 until he was fired. And it's like the Tayshawn Gibson thing is really a strange one. Like, you know, I've heard some stories about like why they didn't play him at the end of 2020. And I, I don't think they're enough to like go on the record about it, but it's just the kind of stuff that's like really puzzling. It wasn't like any football reasons or injury reasons. And you go and sign a guy like Eric Murray, who nobody in Kansas City or, or Cleveland thought 
a whole lot of. It's like you ask yourself, like, where do these decisions come from? Like, how do, how do they how do they brainstorm these decisions of all things? And I think in 2020 hindsight, what I would have done is I would have fired. And I, I admit I didn't say this say this at the time, and I should have. They should have fired O'Brien after the 2018 season. Mm-hmm. I think I think 2017 would have been unfair because. I thought he did a really good job of adjusting to having Deshaun. They put in that Clemson offense and did really well. Then he got hurt and he was in a brutal spot. Even though it would have cost a lot of money at the time after 2018, it would be like, okay, this guy has been the coach for five years. Our quarterback has two years left on his rookie contract. So we need to take advantage. Now we've seen him in the playoffs and all he's really done is beat a basically dead Raiders team with a second or third string quarterback in Connor cook. We've seen him heads up in like 50-50 games at home, get bludgeoned by Kansas City, and get their doors blown off really by Indianapolis. Like what kind of head coach, and I think Bill's more of an average head coach than an awful coach, but what coach with that resume after five years would you say, yeah, the upside on that guy is winning a Super Bowl. So I think that's where the original mistake was made, was not moving on after 2018. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I know – we did the podcast after the Colts loss, and I thought O'Brien should stay after 2017, like in real time, because of you know he ran pretty good offense around Watson. Watson was great until he tore his ACL, and they were scoring 31 points a game. And I just yep. all the faults the faults from O'Brien before that. You know they had bad quarterbacks. Now he finally had a chance for the quarterback, and this is what they did. But after the 18 season, whenever they came out with established run ball control offense, and they had a great run stopping defense. Their defense was bad in the bad against the pass, but they played quarterbacks like. Alex Smith and Case Keenum, and they won, you know, ten games in a row because of that. Or nine games in a row, they got lucky. Came out to, yeah, because of the schedule broke for them, you know, perfectly because they had an all-time great run defense that year. And just based off the offense they had there, and like how their game plan against the Colts was, uh, DeAndre Hopkins to be double covered and just have him run downfield. We'll try throw him deep, like a dog catching a frisbee was their only offensive <laughs> option that game. Like because after that game, you know, we talked about on this show that we should they should fire O'Brien now. And uh, there's a lot of like conversations like, well, what are your other options? You always can find a better option than that. You can find and options, And even if yeah. that doesn't work, you know, there's still a better thing than that. But that was like what we were saying live time. And in hindsight, that's still kind of how it stands as well, too, that 18 after the loss of the Colts was kind of the year to fire O'Brien and uh, move on from there at that point. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And because my thought with O'Brien was after, you know, four after four years after 17, I'm like, okay. You know, I think he did a solid job of there were a couple times where the team could have really collapsed, particularly in 2015 against Miami and Atlanta, where he was able to kind of steady the ship. And I thought they did an okay job with Fitzpatrick and Hoyer and Mallet to an extent where I was like, okay, they're kind of limiting the mistakes that these guys are making. So imagine if they get a real quarterback in here, what could they do with him? But that never materialized in 2018. Like any success Deshaun had most of the time was really based on what he was doing and not any scheme or talent around him. So I thought in tw- with 2020 hindsight, that's why the moment to, mo- to move on from Bill would have been after 2018. I mean, honestly, like I'm just, lo- I'm just looking back here. Like I know this would have been crazy at the, well, actually, well, let me look at this. Vrabel was hired the year before by I gotta look at who was hired in 2019. Let me let me mm-hmm. figure that out. NFL head coaching hire. But like I, I agree with your premise uh that you could figure out like somebody in 2019 after the 2018 season they could have hired. Um look like Kingsbury was hired, Kitchens, that was a disaster. Fangio, mixed results, you know, Matt LaFleur, like 
I, I don't know if Matt LaFleur is a great coach, but he's gone 13-3 and three two years in a row, and that's a guy who's worked with the Houston Texans before, right? Yeah, and he learned a lot this year as well, too. Well, like he learned a lot after their loss to the 49ers and how they needed to develop a more balanced offensive attack. Um, yeah. And he's improved every year as well, too. And but even then, like I think Eric Bieniemy would have been a good head coaching candidate in 2018, too. I know he still, he, he still doesn't have a job, but how much of that's like weird football stuff that we don't know about, uh, like maybe how he interviews or how he is like, you know, personality wise, but even that's a better option than, you know, a Bill O'Brien offense that keeps, you know, limiting Deshaun Watson, you know, from that point on as well too, and show that again in 18. And the problem with 18, of course, is that the pass defense is bad. And as soon as they play against a good passing offense, they're going to go down by a lot. And they weren't prepared to come back against the Colts in a game that you know, directly affected that thanks to, you know, of course, Sharice Rye getting beyond double move like he did 15 <laughs> times that season as well too. Yeah, you're 100% right. Like that, it, that would have been the moments for an organization to sit there and evaluate, okay, we have a bright, young franchise quarterback. We've had the head coach for five years. Is this the right head coach moving forward? And I know they gave O'Brien an extension the year before, but that would have been the right time to move on, especially given everything that, that happened that offseason with Gain being with Easterby in, Gain out, and just you know the Clowney and Tunsil trades as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I, uh, you know, and so I think back on this Watson thing too and what's going to occur. I don't like... I don't really feel like there's a spot at all where you can trade them after the draft, but let's say it happens where the, t- the season starts, Watson's on the roster, nobody is going to you know trade. No, like the, Watson's on the roster, he's sitting out, and you're in the 2021 season, and you're stuck with him. Like, what yeah. do you do at that point? Do you think you try make some? You think you try trade tons before the season starts and cut roster bait at there at that point, or or do you just tank and bomb out and say, all right, I guess AJ McCarron's your quarterback this year? How would you handle it if you get to 2000? 21 week one, you operate the entire offseason that Watson's gonna be your quarterback, and now all of a sudden he's not your quarterback anymore. Okay, so you're asking me like if they do not trade Watson by the draft, they assume somehow that he's gonna come back, but he just doesn't. That's yeah. my hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um okay, I I actually I've been thinking about this for the last day. Uh, I don't think you have to trade a guy like Tunsil just because like, you know, left tackles are hard to find and they're kind of like dinosaurs. They can like, or that's, uh, they're like turtles. They can like age, (laughs) they can play forever, right? Like Larry Tunsil is still 26 years old. He'll turn 27 before the season. So like, yeah, you're paying him a lot of money, but it's like, you got to pay, you got to pay somebody and it's going to be a hard hole to fill anyway. Eventually, if I trade him for a first round pick, all I'm doing is trying to get like the the next Laramie Tunzel. So if he wants to stick around, assuming that's the case, I'm just going to stick with him, especially because if I play with Laramie in 2021, you know, without Deshaun, like I'm most likely going to get like the number one overall pick. And then I'm going to want a good left tackle uh, to protect my quarterback. I do have a question for you actually about Tunzel because I, I had somebody uh, talk to me about a month ago about Tunzel who they were, they're not big fans. And they're basically saying like, listen, the dude is a great pass protector, but the next time he gets to the second level is going to be the first time. What do you think about that? Yeah. He's a like top five pass protecting left tackle. And what he allows you to do is you play Minnesota Yank and Gawkway before you got traded the Ravens, of course, and Yank and Gawkway is not going to ruin your day. And Gawkway is not going to be a problem at all. That's what he provides to you. But as a run blocker, he's not really physical. He doesn't really move guys off the line scrimmage. Um, at the second level, he's okay. Like I do think he like he made Max Sharping better in 19, but run blocking he really didn't provide anything in 2020 at all whatsoever. And like again, like the value that you get from him locking down, you know, Bud Dupree for example, isn't worth 19.4 million dollars this season. Okay. And so I do think like if you trade Watson, you trade Tunsil as well too. 
And, uh, and I, and like, if you do draft a quarterback early on, I would say you just rest them for a year, bomb out this year and try to rebuild, <laughs> fix everything that you're after, you know, and still kind of bomb out again, no matter what, uh, after you trade Watson, because this is different than like the 13 Texans where they aren't a team that's like the bad luck happened, but the bad luck was, uh, a balance out from the good luck in 2019. So this isn't like a team that's like one player away or two players away or better luck away. This is a, a talentless roster that was pulled up by Deshaun Watson just to win four games last year. And yeah. so if you have a rookie quarterback, that's not going to change that. Well, I think that's uh, that's where I, I think the fans are really at like a nadir, like a real low point, because it's like this feels like rock bottom, but like they haven't even reached rock bottom because rock bottom ostensibly is like if and when they trade Deshaun. But then it's like, okay, are we really at rock bottom? Because, you know, what do we get from a quarterback standpoint? And what about David Cully? And like, how long is Easterby going to be around here? So finding rock bottom for this team is not really clear to me. Um, Like one thing I wonder about with a Watson trade from a Texan standpoint is how important is it for the franchise to, in any Watson trade, the trade itself provides you a clear avenue to getting your next quarterback, whether that's Justin Herbert, whether that is a bunch of picks down the road, whether that's the Jets at number two or Miami at number three. Like, How important is it to them to be able to trade him for something that turns immediately into a quarterback that they can then start this season and at least start to turn the page and provide their fans with hope? Because mm-hmm. right now it feels like like we're just a ways away from any any level of hope right now. Yeah, I think the truth is that there is no bottom at all. Like there's no rock bottom at all to the Texans' misery. Like it's going to keep going. I think it's infinite to how bad this thing could get. But it, it that's a good well, point ba- because like, well, how I, bad I don't do know. you think? Of, how bad? I, like even even this, I like it's beyond my wildest dreams how bad it could get. Because even this right now is so much worse than what I thought like it could have been two years ago whenever I thought about how after like the tensile trade happened, the client trade happened and about like, like Watson asking for a trade was never in like any sort of idea that I thought could be, you know, ever occurred. Here we are now at this point too. So I can't even come up with any expectations of what uh, rock bomb would actually look like. Yeah. That's yeah. It's like, well, the question is like, okay, when it comes to hope for any team, it's like, the, the hope is, okay, what happens at the quarterback position, right? That, that to me is where the hope, especially with a bad team. And so if they trade Watson before the draft and they end up, you know, with a quarterback they pick, then it's, then it's like, okay, well, everyone's kind of invested into that guy, even if they're super skeptical about, about Cully and hate Easterby, but at least they can like root for that quarterback. Uh, or you could play it like they do nothing with Deshaun, up until the end of the regular season, or they trade with like Carolina or Denver to where they're not landing a quarterback this year, but they're like clearly gunning for the number one pick overall next year. Then basically, you know, I, I, yeah, I think John McClain put it well. I think he was on six ten on Friday. And when he was like, the next time they'll have hope is like, if this team gets the number one pick next year, like then they can like start this process. But like, damn, it's March, 2021. Like we're talking, that's, that's going to be, that's, you know, essentially 12, uh, 11, that's 11, 10 months from now. Like that's a long, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't really, I mean, I don't, I think the idea of like a good Texans team to give would probably be March, 2023, but if you had a, or like 2023 season would probably be the best idea when they would be like good again at all. I think rock bottom though, is if they trade Watson and the quarterback they trade for to select and the draft doesn't work out or yeah. they, Nick Casario completely botches the trade 
of Watson, like how the Texans have botched previous trades. And like, I know Casario is different than anybody who's here before. He's his own person, but yep. they're still kind of like, you can't have that, I guess, expectation that Casario can get the most possible out of Watson considering everything that's been happening before with this franchise too. Yeah, and the scary part, go because I, do I have faith in Casario to maximize value? I'll say sure with some hesitance, um, but that really goes up until this NFL draft. Once you get past that point, then the organization really needs to stick to its guns. Like I, I think one thing that's been made clear in this last year is if you're a young star player who doesn't play football for a year, like your value is still going to be high. Example, Jamar Chase. Example, Penny Sewell. I and mean, we have tangible examples right now of two guys who did not play football in 2020, and they're both going to be top five, top six draft picks. So the value of a young star player is going to be there, particularly a young star quarterback. But once, but like if the Texans go into 2021 and Watson's like not showing up, then let's say they have this horrible season. You end the year. Well, Watson's value inherently goes down, even if just a little bit, just because at that point, other teams are going to know, yeah, this team's picking number one overall. Watson hates the franchise. Uh, they're going to have to trade him now. Whereas at least right now, there's the uncertainty of like, are they actually going to do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess like even looking at the idea of, you know, like the culture of the Texans and the organization itself right now, what it like if it's you know right before the draft and you know, because like we're still not getting enough for Watson, what's forcing like Easterby or McNair or anybody with any sort of influence like over Casario say, Well, we need to make this deal happen now before the draft, or it needs to happen now. It doesn't matter what you can get, you just gotta get something for them, which could push a trade along. I guess it'd be kind of concerned from what's happened previously with this team, just the lack of you know, nuance to be able to you manipulate the trade market to get like an actual uh, comparative yes. haul for what the player's talent is. I mean, I, I will say for the record, and I've said this on my shows on Sirius XM, I think all these reports about, well, the Texans aren't listening. They're not picking up the phone. When teams bring up Deshaun, they automatically change the topic. That to me is meaningless. Like, I don't think Casario is an idiot. Nick Casario right now, like this is his job. Like mm-hmm. this, this is like more, this is like, this is what he is going to be as Peter King wrote. Like, like whatever he does here will be in the first paragraph of his obituary. Like that's how important this is. Nick Casario knows what teams are interested in Watson. And I would bet a lot of money that he knows about what they're willing to offer right now. And the fact that he's not talking to them or not engaging in conversation, I don't think is is really a super big deal. He knows what's on the table and what's on the table is not going to change for the next month and a half because the Jets, the Dolphins, uh, the Panthers and the Broncos are not going to find quarterbacks before the draft. Maybe mm-hmm. the worst case scenario for Houston is if the Jets are like, well, we've fallen in love with Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, and we're definitively going to take one of those guys at number two. Therefore, that trade would be off the table for you. That would be like the worst case scenario for Houston. But even so, like all the other teams would still be very interested in Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so too. I uh, I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is like, what if you don't take a quarterback at three if you make the trade Miami and trade down, or if you trade for two and two doesn't work out also? And there's like two different ways that like, you can build a football team. You can build a football team around a great quarterback, or you can get a great team with an average quarterback. And I think like there's there's a way you can trade Watson and like collect a, a wide variety of players to fill the holes that you have to maybe potentially build a good team in two years. But after watching like how much how great Watson is and what he's able to do. And watching what's happened to the Colts the last two years where they have a great team, but they have mm-hmm. Jacoby Brissett quarterback one year. Last year, it's Phillip Rivers, and he has a game-winning drive where I think he has 11 plays for 37 yards, and it was the last drive of his career. And like mm-hmm. now they have Carson Wentz, who is the least valuable quarterback in, uh, 
in the NFL last year. And like, just because even if you can build everything up around it, you have to nail down the quarterback spot. And so I do think like whatever they do for Watson has to be either drafting a quarterback in this year's class, getting a young franchise quarterback, or if you don't, if you don't draft a quarterback in this year's class, it's all about trading down, buying them out this year. So you can get a quarterback one overall in the 2021 class. Uh, you and I look at, are looking at things very similarly. I, you know, these team people are talking about well, you got to build up a team and then bring in a quarterback. I think that's a dangerous game to play. I understand that the Chiefs were able to do it, but like they had Alex Smith, and other teams have been able to do it. You know, uh, but it's it's just it's hard to do. Like San Francisco has a really good team, and you know they've missed the playoffs in two of the last three years because Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, and he hasn't been that good. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I, I just think it's tough. Like uh, this is the whole debate the Jets have at number two. People keep saying like, well, you know. Darnold doesn't have enough help and like you got to build up a team and like the team has a deficit of talent. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But they're going from Adam Gase to Robert Sala. They're going to win more football games. They're yeah. going to be better and they're not going to be two and 14 every single year. And if they bring back Sam and he's like the 20th best quarterback in the league in 2021, like you're going to be picking like 15th or whatever. And it's not going to be that easy. I'm, I'm with you. I'm about like finding the quarterback. I look at a team like Denver. Like I, I look at that roster and I'm like, if they had a star quarterback, I think that team could win the division. I think that team would be a Super Bowl contender. They have a better offensive line. They've got a ton of good skill position guys. I think their defense is pretty talented. I'm actually su- surprised that they're not on Russell Wilson's list of four teams that he would want to mm-hmm. go to. Uh, and, and I bring that up, Matt, to say if I was the Denver Broncos, like I have all these pieces in place for a really good young quarterback, but I'm picking ninth and there are no guarantees on this. Like if I don't land Watson, I've got to sit there and like, you know, Trey Lance might not be available. My best option at that point might be Mac Jones, essentially. And is he better than Drew Locke? I I have no idea. Yeah. And I I completely agree with the Broncos. And also I think Fangio is such a defensive wizard. Like it doesn't matter who he has. He can turn it. He can turn into a top 10 defense as well. And like Drew Locke doesn't have the accuracy to play quarterback. He's like Drew. He's like Dwayne Haskins. Like they don't have, you don't like him. No, they don't have the accuracy to play the position at all. Okay. And so I do think Denver is a team kind of like, you know, you mentioned Kansas City training for Mahomes. I think if they don't trade for Watson and trade for Wilson, they have to trade up and select a quarterback, you know, and maybe that gives up two first round picks to make happen. But they're set up to win now and they're just missing that, you know, one yes. position. And it's been like that for them for, you know, since I guess Pam Manning retired. Even then, he was really bad that year when, they, when he won his Super Bowl in his last year in Denver, too. Well, you, you, I think we are exactly aligned in that the Texans need to either add their quarterback this offseason if they trade Deshaun or next offseason, definitely, and then build up around that player. Let, let me ask you this, because uh, I liked him a lot coming out of college, and I've been wrong so far. What do you think about Tua? So I think Tua can throw three routes really well. He can throw a seam. He can throw the flat. He can throw the slant. But it's like anything other than that, he has problems throwing. But I, like I like his mobility. I think he's smart, like based off everybody, everything everybody said about him. But I do think he's seen the game pretty slow as last year, and also not having a great offensive line, you know, kind of speeds up how quickly you you have to think about things, how quickly you have to bail out too. But uh, I I don't know. I don't I need to see more of Tua. Uh, I like watching him play because he's left handed and he's pretty fast and he's enjoyable to watch play. But I think there's too much unknown surrounding Tua. Hmm. I think if you trade Watson for Tua. You have no idea what you're about to get out of him. You have no idea how his career is going to go. And he's so far away from a sure thing that if you trade for two, you may be looking at me and quarterback you know, a year from two now anyways. Yeah, because I, I liked him a lot coming out of Alabama because I remember when he replaced Jalen Hurts and played those next two years. I thought there was like a noticeable difference in 
the Alabama offense with Hertz and with Tua because I thought Tua was just like far more aggressive. He was willing to take shots down the field. I know we're talking about college and not the NFL, but there was a reason why Saban put Tua in the championship game, which is like, hey, we need something different. And all of a sudden, Tua was like launching the ball down the field. I like this arm strength in college. I don't know if I was just wrong about that. Uh, but then I just even looking at him on an NFL field, you know, some guys aren't that big, but they don't seem out of place on an NFL field. Like Baker Mayfield's not that big of a guy, but I see him in the NFL. I'm like, okay, he's 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 fine enough. Mm -hmm. I looked at two of this past season. I was just like watching him and I'm like, this guy looks small, like for whatever reason, like it, it seemed to me like his athleticism, his size, like nothing really tr like I thought he did not look like he stood out in any positive way when I watched Miami play. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't really thought about that with Tua at all, about his size and how he looks on the field. Uh, but like whenever he – I guess like whenever they played the Cardinals last year, him and Kyler Murray looked really similar out there, hmm. uh, like both like mobility-wise. like I guess like stature-wise too. Like I kind of felt like I was watching the same quarterback except one's left-handed and not as good as the other one who's right-handed. And so that kind of plays in line with what you're saying about you know the, his, the size and what he looks on the field too. I also yeah. heard some stuff too about his injury that happened you know, that it was a lot worse probably than was expected. And it, it, it changes throwing motion, which may have zapped hmm. his arm strength, like you're mentioning in that championship game. And then you wonder, like, is this a situation where it's an injury that you can come back from, but it's going to take like two years, three years to get fully recovered from. So I'd want to know more about that. Like, I think Miami is a, is a sort of likely Deshaun Watson destination just be, just because, and I, that, worries me i also think it's kind of humiliating from a texan standpoint that they would get like completely oh, it's disgusting pants. i guess yeah, it's it's, it. it's revolting like it, it makes the the tonsil deal accurately as one of the worst deals in nfl history basically because of what it led to um but to me when i think about trading watson for like two of the three the number 18 other picks um with um that miami has moving forward to me the way, the only way I'd make that deal if I was Nick Casario is one of two things. Either I believe in Tua or I'm able to get a quarterback at number three who I like. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of a weird one because, you know, Jacksonville's taking Lawrence at number one. We probably think the Jets are going to pick a quarterback at number two. So you'd be basically, no matter what, getting like a third pick of the litter, essentially. So the only way I make the Miami trade is if I like Tua or I like what I can get a quarterback at number three. That's kind of my thought process. Yeah, or you like Tua, and then you can get the third overall pick, and then you trade down from there and just collect draft picks as you you slide, turn three, three overall into maybe a second-round pick, and you collect like an extra first-round pick or extra second-round yes. pick as well to it. But now, one thing, one thing you can do along with your Tunsil theory is, uh, I don't know if you've watched Sewell from Oregon at all, but the people who I follow on Twitter who like who are big on offensive linemen, like they think this guy is a complete stud. And so if the Texans like Tua genuinely, they could trade Watson for Tua, the three, the 18 and whatever else. And they could trade Tunsil, draft Sewell, like get way cheaper at left tackle, plug him mm -hmm. in right there. And then basically, you know, move on from that. So like if they had that kind of scenario, then I think moving on from Tunsil would make more sense in that kind of hypothetical. Yeah. And one also too is left-handed. So now you make Tyus Howard, your blindside pass protector. And now, That's he's, a good point. now he's on the cover of the book instead of Larry Tunsil. And now <laughs> you, you think, can make Larry Tunsil expendable too. Do you think that blind sight stuff is as big of a deal now as it was when Michael Lewis wrote that book? I think it's more important just to have two good tackles than one really great left tackle. I think the position's overrated. I, I think it, I think it's more important to have like two good tackles and it takes a lot more than left tackle to sell a pass protection. And I've joked around a bunch, I guess, since they trade for Tunsil that 
you know, everybody, you know, Bill O'Brien read that book too many times, and that's why the trade ended up happening as well. What what really enrages me about that trade because I've I've debated with a few guys on social media who I respect, and and they still like the deal. I'm like, listen, the problem with that deal was the process. If the Texans really wanted a star left tackle in the 2019 offseason, they should have made that decision on January 15th or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. And what they should have done was like, all right, we're targeting like Trent Williams, Laramie Tunsil, whoever else, and like negotiated for the next three months and basically been like, okay, like kind of like this Watson thing. Like they ended up trading a 2020 first round pick and a 2021 first round pick weakness. You don't know what picks you're giving up. Well, now yeah. you gave up like the pick last year and the number three overall pick this year. If you had traded for tons, like even if you had made the equivalent deal, and I know this is a real hindsight. If you had made the equivalent deal before that draft, you would have given up a late, a late tur first round pick and then ended up giving whatever pick that ended up with Austin Jackson last year. And you would have had your pick this year. If you had just made that Laramie Tunsil deal before that draft. Also, if you look at the discrepancy between what you got for Clowney and what Seattle got for Frank Clark, that was like a mile apart. So they should have made that decision on January 15th. And they're like, hey, if we don't want Clowney long term, fine. I can live with that. Let's get as much as we can for Clowney right now and use that compensation to get ourselves a left tackle so we cannot compromise ourselves in the future. Uh, and instead, they go with this Matt Khalil thing, which shows you definitively the process was completely screwed up mm -hmm. from their standpoint. Like, if you want to do that, you can do that, Matt, but that decision needs to be made in the first month of the offseason. And every other thing that you do needs to basically fit within that original decision. You don't decide to trade for Laramie Tunsil when you hit training camp nine months, uh, seven months later, eight months later. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and they—I mean—they hire, they sign Matt Khalil to start left tackle that year, and then he yes. started practicing. They said, "Oh, yeah. he can't play left tackle," and I mean, then they kind of made their changes from there after that point. It's like really baffling because I—I—I I, I don't know nearly as much about football as you do, but like I think I understand, or as much as like they theoretically do, like the O'Brien types. But it's like, like this is not—I I don't think what I outlined just there is like a really hard decision to make. Like this is all just basic decision making, value leverage logic. Like that's all that is right there mm -hmm. yeah it's it's completely absurd like i think there's there's two different off seasons that year too the one they planned with brian gain that was like and they had some sort of plan set in place and yep. then all of a sudden they kind of realized wait this is a terrible plan and they fired him and they and then or maybe casario came in the picture and they didn't get him <laughs> to kind of change things once they saw matt cleo however that happened there was definitely something that happened uh there that led to two different changes so we also have jeremy brenner who also writes for Val Red Blog, who, who's here as well for uh, the next hour or so to talk about the Houston Texans and everything else. And so we can, whenever he's ready, we can uh, talk to him for a little bit too and add another person to it. Uh, but first, there. Mike, how's it going, Jeremy? But first, Mike, uh, let me hear your take on Deshaun Watson's AJ. I know that you had some uh, oh, yes. that you want to add to it to make sure you don't forget about this portion. I was thinking about this because uh, Uprooted Texan made, and, and other people have made the point that they don't think the Texans would draft Justin Fields because his agent is David Mulligetta. While I think that Mulligetta may not give Justin Fields like a glowing review of the Texans franchise, I think sometimes people need to really think about NFL agents and like what their incentives are. For example, like Mulligetta has other clients on the Texans. Like he has Charles Menahue. And like I think that each player has his own individual relationship with the franchise and it's important for the agents to kind of keep it that way so deshaun to the texans is not the same as like uh as a menahue in the texans i understand like two totally different levels of players but if you're david mulligetta 
even if you like, I'm guessing like David, he seems like he's on this trajectory to be like maybe the most powerful agent in the, in the league at some point, but like you only, it's not like you have a thousand places you can place your clients. There are still only going to be 32. So even if they're pissed at the Texans, like that's more of a, I think Deshaun kind of deal. And like David Mulligetta for as long as he's an NFL agent is going to have only 32 places he can put his clients. And so I think to poison the well with Justin Fields, like, I don't know if it would go in that direction. Maybe I am being naive, but that's what I would think if I was the agents. I, I think so too. And also, like if you wanted to make your client as much money as possible, him signing with the Houston Texans is a good place to make him a ton of money after you know seeing the contracts that they gave out the last year and a half as well. Too. Good points. Uh Jeremy, what do you think? Do you think David Malagueta, how are you saying? I don't know. Deshaun Watson's agent. Do you think there'd be any concern at all between him and the Texans and his other uh possible you know players they represents going forward? I think you'd be a little naive to think there wouldn't be at least a little bit of concern. I think, you know, just just hearing that, like, you know, like, he has inside info. And whether it might not necessarily deter Justin Fields from coming to the Texans or future Mulligata, uh whatever, clients, it, it's definitely a cause for concern. But I honestly think that... It is a case-by-case thing, especially if you're a hotshot agent and Mulligetta is turning into one of those considering he his client numbers are growing year after year. And he's getting all these high-profile guys with you know Justin Fields now on top of Deshaun Watson. So there's definitely cause for concern. However, I think the concern is with Easterby. And once Easterby is no longer part of the picture, then... I think there that freeze or whatever you want to call it will be over. I agree with that actually. Yeah. I, I think and Jeremy is right. Like I I'm like I think things in life are not black and white. They're kind of like in sort of like a spectrum. So I think like if you're David Mulligetta, would I want Justin Fields to end up with the Texans? I would say more likely than not, I wouldn't, but also like there aren't that many open quarterback jobs in the NFL, and it would be like a super open one without Deshaun here. Um, but I agree with Jeremy in that. And that kind of relates Matt to the rock bottom thing. Like I I think until Jack is no longer here, like nobody in the fan base is going to buy in. I think once Jack is eventually out, I I think the healing process can like start to begin at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And I, what, I don't know what it's going to take for that to occur at all. You know, like we talked about a little bit earlier today. I know, uh, Tim was saying that he thinks by next free agency period, Jack Easterby won't be there because the Texans will go like two and fourteen or three or thirteen or whatever. But even though like I can't imagine a world right now where Jack Easterby doesn't have like a, a large amount of influence on the Houston Texans. And I just think he I just think for whatever reason, you know, whether it's Kyle whether it's Kyle McNair or the McNair family or you know, whoever or Nick Hissary himself, uh, whoever it is, or if it's an entire collective group effort, like Easterby's part of their plans, and I don't really see anything changing that at all. Well, I think it will. So here's what I think. I don't think if I had to guess, not bet, but guess, I don't think Easterby will be here like a year from now, whether it's training camp or after this season comes to an end, uh, because I just think that nobody in the locker room is going to buy in. I think the possibility of a player like revolt is actually a possibility with this team, (laughs) given the current state of things. Um, And I just think at this stage, like it's tricky because they, they, for whatever reason, they don't want to, they don't want to like capitulate to all of the uh, the pressure to fire Jack, and maybe it's like of maybe he kind of like steps aside at some point. But my fear is that like 
if they are the worst team in the league, they get the number one pick and they take somebody and and Easterby is still here, then I feel like, okay, then he might be just in for the long haul. And then like it's a really challenging scenario. If Easterby outlasts Deshaun, I think he's in charge of his own destiny at this point. He'll be the one to fight. He'll be the only person that can fire himself. Because if he outlasts Deshaun Watson, the franchise, I'm not even going to say the franchise player, the franchise. Deshaun Watson is the franchise. He is the Houston Texans. And if Jack Easterby can outlast him, then Jack Easterby becomes the franchise. And the only way you fire the franchise is if you do it yourself. The only way Deshaun Watson gets traded is if he trades himself. That That's kind of where we're at here. And I just – I think that – I honestly am hoping for a revolt. Why not? Let's see. I agree. Total chaos right <laughs> yes. here. Yes. I like that. Bring Bedlam to NRG Stadium. Let's just do it. Because because what, what does the team have to lose at this point? I agree. And I can't imagine people are too thrilled if Deshaun – I can't imagine people are too thrilled about it. You know, we haven't really heard a lot of opinions about this. But I want to hear what – one of the opinions I really want to hear is Amenahus. Because clearly he has something with Mulligetta as the connection. I'm curious to see what the defense – how the defense feels about this whole thing. Offense, I know, you know, I think we heard like from Brandon Cooks. He kind of just said like, hey, like, you know, it is what it is. But he obviously wants to play with Deshaun. He's talked about in during the season how he wants to grow with Deshaun and stay in Houston and all that. But, like, I can't, I can't imagine how this team is going to be, like, super happy or even play normal without Deshaun there. It just doesn't make total sense. And uh, it's going to turn into – it's only going to get worse at this point. I think the time for Bedlam was whenever they kicked a field goal on fourth and one at Kansas City twenty-four <laughs> yard line when they were de- of twenty when they were up twenty-one zero and Bill O'Brien didn't have a play for that situation. I think that was the time for it. And well, like, I they told like, you, one missed field goal would lead to the worst revolution in NFL like, history. He made he made the field goal. He, he made the, and then they went, he made the field well, goal and they went for the fake punt on their own side of the field. Yeah. The, the, the funny thing about it, you, you know that like. Whenever somebody eventually inevitably writes like the story of like the downfall of the Watson Texans, it's gonna start like it's gonna start with like it's gonna start with something like oh, let me bring sure. you to January 2020. Espionation Place, Arrowhead Stadium, the Texans complete like an eight-yard pass to Duke Johnson. They're facing a fourth and one, they're up 21-nothing, they kick a field goal, and then like everything else happens at that point. Like that's how that story is gonna begin, like at that moment right mm-hmm. there. I'm getting the chills just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, I, I mean, like, I don't know. I think it's weird. That's kind of been the weird thing, though, about it, even going back to Watson, too, is that you know, he re-signed in this place with O'Brien, head coach and general manager, with Jack Easterby, with his influence he had here. Also in a situation where they trade Clown, they trade for Tensel, they trade DeAndre Hopkins. Like, this is the organizational structure that he signed up for. And there was like, if there was a time to really revolt against you know, Easter beam was going on. That was kind of the time to do it, I think, too. And I know, like, there's the things that happened after the season and the things they talked about, like, once they became a really bad football team. But there was still, like, all this was in play and the cracks from the dam and, uh, you know, broke apart this year. But there still was, like, plenty of opportunities to speak out and say something. And I think it's not only just, like, I want to hear Omanehu or I want to hear Cooks, but there's just been, like, a lack of, like, public outcry from anybody, any sort of players, if it's that bad. And they've all kind of signed up for this and, like, the closest thing we saw from it was Watson talking about 
the need for a culture change after the Week 17 loss to the Titans, and J.J. Yep. Watt being very mad without saying anything explicitly after every loss, too. Uh, they had chances to do so, and they really haven't done it. And like I've been kind of waiting for something more direct and something more actual um, from anybody within the organization. It just really hasn't happened yet, aside from like the Easter Beat Sports Illustrated articles that came out. And but that, yeah, but sorry, sorry, Mike, but that's why they're keeping this so close to the vest. That's why they fired Amy Palsic is because Amy Palsic was going to let this story kind of permeate. And Texans wanted to have as much control possible as they possibly could. And they're keeping everything super tight-knit. When they had the press conferences for Cully, for Casario, everything was about, this is about them. When it was about JJ, this is about JJ. This is not about anything else. This is, they're, they're keeping everything that's happened close to the best. The only leaks that have come out have been the anonymous sources. And what I want to see, I want to see full, no, no, one, no more anonymous sources. I want to see real faces come out and say what's wrong and put a face to it. Because once that happens, once you get a face to the problem that addresses exactly what's going on, then that's when I think you're going to start to see more change. Well, I think Jeremy brings up a good point, um, not only now, but what you said a few minutes ago. Like, you are curious, like, if some of these guys are on the roster, like, what are they going to say? Because, you know, it's one thing for us to talk about what, what a bad season this is going to be and what a terrible year. It's another thing to, like, live through it and, like, be in pain every single week playing football. Like, what if Brandon Cooks is around, like, what does he think about? Like, Randall Cobb's going to be here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. my God, he must, other than the money, he must regret signing that contract. Like, he's going to be around here. And what are those players going to say if and when they trade Deshaun Watson like what are those are we going to get any real interesting comments I think the only guy who's really spoken has been Justin Reed he was on uh Sirius NFL radio f- a few weeks ago and he kind of took the tact of like yeah I hope Deshaun's around like I hope the situation gets worked out but we're kind of in the early stages you know the the one guy who has gone on the record and I, I know some people are annoyed he has not gone into specifics but the one guy who has gone on the record against Jack Easterby is Andre Johnson mm-hmm that's the one guy who has gone directly on the record and the tweet is still up. Because yeah. he doesn't have anything to lose. True. Under, the thing is, the only guys the Texans are going to be able to employ are players that are fighting for an NFL contract, that need, that don't have enough money financially to be able to support themselves beyond their NFL career. So the just, the Justin Reeds, the Will Fullers, the Brandon Cooks of the team, the guys that can get contracts elsewhere – they would leave, but the guys that the Texans are going to keep are the guys that need an NFL contract to stay in the NFL and need an opportunity, and the Texans are just going to provide the opportunity to fringe roster guys, and that's what's going to result in, you know, 115, 2 and 14, 3 and 13 seasons. Well, and, and mentioning Andre Johnson, this is kind of something I was thinking about Mike, because like Andre Johnson's not necessarily like a slam dunk Hall of Fame candidate. You know, like he's like fringe, he's borderline. But I think what would get Andre Johnson's Hall of Fame. What a traitorous comments. <laughs> I, if you just look at the numbers and everything overall, like the way he's kind of looked at in the entirety of the league, like I think from a talent perspective, he is, but just because of the quarterbacks he played with and everything else. But I do think what would get Andre Johnson to the Hall of Fame is the fact that he would be the first player in Texans franchise history to be in the Hall of Fame and to get that like get them, this fan base, like a Hall of Famer. Do you think that Tweety had that comment that the comments that he's made? will affect like the ownership maybe pushing for Andre Johnson to get in the Hall of Fame, or do you think that doesn't matter really at all whatsoever? I don't know if it matters because ultimately, like I'm guessing that someone like John McClain will be presenting Andre in front of the voters. I don't know 
how much someone like Cal McNair would have an influence on it. And let's be honest, like, could you imagine Cal McNair like trying to influence people who are voting for the Hall of Fame? Like, I don't like <laughs> how would he even be able to like argue that to them? I mean, I guess it's just like making public opinion to go for bat for for him. And even like okay. the Texans like PR department saying like Andre should be in the Hall of Fame and trying to get like some sort of, you know, social media movement going or even a, a newspaper movement going, like anything in the media to get movement going for Andre Johnson to be a Hall of Famer. And I think maybe like I don't know if this would happen or not, but I could see that being a possibility that the team may distance themselves a little bit from Andre Johnson after the comments that he recently made, you know, at least in recent years. You know what's amazing? I thought the quote of the year was JJ's quote after Bill O'Brien got fired. Exactly. When yeah, he said, it. Yeah, he was basically like, listen, like I now is like every like we can like turn the page and like we can get on the same page as like the city. Uh, because you could argue that Bill O'Brien is like the most hated football figure in the history of the Houston, Texas. Well, Eastby might be <laughs> making a run for that at this point, and, and Cal too. But like now we are like what five, six months later, and things are even worse than they are right now. To the point where like if I was working for the Texans, like I would have to have like two lives. Like I wouldn't even really, like talk publicly about my <laughs> job. I would have to like go into work and like do it. And then basically completely shut it out. Like I feel terrible for guys like Mark Vandermeer and John Harris and Drew Darty and like DP uh, who are like good at what they do. Very good at what they do. And it's like anything they post on Twitter, any the team posts, it's like there is a, there's a complete basically like revolt between the fan base and the team. And I would love uh, like a penny for the thoughts of like anybody in the league office or Roger Goodell about what's going on with this situation. Like I, I would love to know what their thought process is on all of this. And I think there's a chance that the NFL ends up stepping into this. Cause this, cause you know, the owners don't want to have this trade happen. It'll make one owner happy, but it'll make 31 owners really unhappy. And, uh, and maybe 30 because Cal McNair will be able to get rid of Deshaun. But I don't think he wants to. Otherwise, he probably would have done it by now. So it would make 31 owners not so happy and one owner really happy. Because once Deshaun gets traded, and if that trigger is pulled, nobody's safe. Yep. Not a single person, whether he signs a contract, that sets a precedent. And then you have, oh, well, his contract is four years. Anyone within a four-year contract is going to re possibly request a trade. And you always have to live with that fear. And we start to see it in the NBA, how, you know, there's these guys want out and it starts to trickle. And, and you see that now all over the league, people want to leave and they voice their opinions as to why they want to leave and all that. But we haven't seen that really in football, not at the quarterback position, at least we've seen that, you know, with wide receivers, Jalen Ramsey, uh, Jamal Adams, like the, the defensive backs are kind of doing it, but there's a difference between when a defensive back requests the trade and when a quarterback requests the trade when a quarterback requests the trade the star of the team that is when you have some real issues so when i think that the nfl and the owners are going to try their damnedest to make sure that this doesn't happen they're either going to buy out the mcnairs and just 31 ways <laughs> and just say hey like this is this is how we're going to do it or they're going to force them to sell I think it I think it could end down that road. I really do. Because if this situation gets far worse and the the leaks turn into, you know, floods. No no, you know, that's yeah. bad that's a bad Houston joke, but no, I, if these leaks turn into floods, then this could turn into a 
disaster, like disaster upon disaster upon disaster situation. I'm very curious, like what the league thinks, because like Deshaun's doing this and I don't know if this would be happening anyway, but, and I don't know what you, I don't know what you guys think, but like, I absolutely think that Russell Wilson wants out of Seattle. Like I, I I've too. become, I've become convinced like when your agent is telling Adam Schefter on the, on the record, like, Hey, we haven't demanded a trade, but like here are four specific teams we'd be willing to go yeah, to and put, you know, put his there. name on it. Yeah. There's something there. like he wants out. I just think he's too nice to demand a trade. And so I think he wants out. He's just going about it in a nice way. And I don't know if he's going to be able to get his way, but it feels like, and I think, I know, I think Ryan Rosillo has made this point on his podcast that like, this is the way it's going to be. And, and I'm with Jeremy on it that like once we see it with Deshaun and especially with Russell Wilson, because unlike the Texans, the Seahawks, I think have been a very well-run franchise. Uh, this is just how it's going to be in the NFL as well. And basically what happened in the NBA, and I, I know this has been going on for decades, but really like since LeBron left Cleveland, even though he was a pure free agent in 2010, like it has completely changed the power dynamics and it definitely, it feels like that's what's happening right now before our eyes in the NFL. Do you like the player mobility? Like, do you like the NBA vacation of the NFL? Cause personally, I don't particularly enjoy it. You know, like even going back to uh, like what happened with quiet Leonard, you know, and then yeah. going back to what happened with Harden recently, the super teams are all like really exciting when it's July and then, or Kevin Durant's the Warriors was like interesting when it was July and then you actually see in reality and it's not very much fun and it's not very, it's not very enjoyable at all whatsoever, whenever it actually yeah. happens. I, I like it to an extent. Yeah. I'm with Jeremy. Like, yeah. I think it's good to have the players with some level of power because the flip side is like the organizations can like do whatever they want. And like, I, I don't love the phrase ruin guys careers, but kind of along that line, but at the same time, like, uh, it, the Russell Wilson thing does kind of bother me. Like if I was in Seattle, because I'd be saying like, hey, listen, like, okay, you want to talk to me about the offensive line? Like we've been like, we've made trades to get better. We traded for Clowney. We traded for Percy Harvin. We traded for Jamal Adams. Like we traded for uh, Carlos Dunlap. We've been aggressive. We have one of the best coaches in the league. We have one of the best GMs in the NFL. And like if a guy like the, the Watson situation is, is an extreme one because of the Texans incompetence, but the Seattle one is like, you know, like even the Rockets, like they were at the end of their contention with this whole Harden thing. Seattle ostensibly would would be making the playoffs, I think, every year with Russ. And so, yeah, I'm with Jeremy. Like I, I am straddling the fence. Like I'm in the middle. I want the players to have some power in the quarterbacks, but I also want parity in the NFL. I don't want like 12 quarterbacks wanting trades to five cities, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, but at least in the NFL, there isn't like this sense of you can go and build these super teams kind of thing. It's not like Russell Wilson's like, oh, I want to go to the Chiefs and back up Mahomes and go win a ring, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He wants to go elsewhere. And I think part of what Russ is doing is I think he wants out of Seattle, but he's also giving the Seahawks a bit of a bone and saying, hey, like I have an out after the season. I'm going to use it. You might as well trade me now and get something from me as opposed to just a compensatory pick down down the line. So I think maybe that's where it stems from. But in the NFL, you don't necessarily have that. Like, it's not like Deshaun's like, oh, I want to go play, you know, I only want to go play for the Chargers because they're in Los Angeles. Or I only want to go play for, you know, the Dolphins because they're in Miami. Or maybe we don't know that. Maybe he, there, there's, there's several options for Deshaun that I think he would entertain the idea of going with. So – and in like in the NBA, it's like Anthony Davis is like, I'm going to the Lakers. That's it. <laughs> it, it LeBron's like, I'm going to the Lakers. Or, you know, Kawhi's like, I'm going to the Clippers. Or it, it like 
there's that's the difference and that's why you see the same franchises in the nba as the ones that are successful because they're in large markets or they're in um just you know large cities and in the nfl it's not exactly like that because you know you only have one quarterback and i think that's what's you know beneficial about the nfl and what's better about the nfl and this whole parody thing and look if you are good enough, you should have the ability to choose where you want to play. Now, the only thing is Deshaun chose that he wanted to play for Houston for the next five years. And that's why this whole thing is so bizarre is because it would be so much easier if he didn't sign that extension. It, this thing would be like, he probably would have been traded by now if he didn't sign that extension, because he would have had one year left on his contract without a franchise tag or anything like that. And it would have been a lot easier to move him, but because he's still here for four more years, it gives the Texans a, a lot of leverage and it says, you know, Hey, we don't have to trade you. You're still with us for four years. So I think something happened between when he signed that contract and the end of the season, something happened. It, well, and that is when, and I think it was before the whole GM search, to be honest, because if, if it's just the GM search, if that's the whole, the whole reason why then that, then maybe the Deshaun should go because that's such a small thing. But that's why I don't think it's just that. I think it's a buildup of small little, you know, maybe microaggressions and stuff like that. And this was the straw that broke the camel's back was the whole GM search. And I do think Jackie Easterby has a lot of the, a lot of the hands in the cookie jar. And he, he is, he's far more hated in my eyes than Bill O'Brien. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree and disagree. I agree with Jeremy's point that something clearly happened with Deshaun between time of the signing of the contract. And then when he wanted out in early January, uh, where I disagree a little bit is I think the situation would still be the same if he hadn't signed the extension, and just wanted out because ultimately it's about what does the team want and how much control do they have? So in a hypothetical where Deshaun didn't have an, an extension, he would be playing under the fifth year option, which they would have obviously taken. Uh, he would have three years of franchise tax. So they'd have four years of control and ultimately, like, they still wouldn't want to trade the player. So I still think we would be in this position. I think as far as the contract, I've always felt like it was overblown in the sense that, like, the Texans still wouldn't want to trade him and they would still have a lot of control even without that extension. The extension, basically, from Watson's standpoint, kind of uh, makes him look worse because people can say, hey, wait a second. The, this organization organization was a mess when you signed the extension in September. What's the difference now? But I think because they still would have had a lot of control anyway, I don't really like I think Deshaun was wrong in his evaluation of the franchise in September. I want to yeah, make that. Completely clear. Agree I, too. Yeah, I, mean, that's Matt, what it was. I think the way he evaluated yeah. the Texans was completely incorrect. Yeah, I think it was it's just like it was, players yeah. are bad at like having like a sort of long-term outlook on a franchise because they look at win-loss record and they're in it. And like, you can kind of yep. see it, even like the BR article that came after O'Brien was fired. And there was guys who said like, well, he was a good GM, you know, and things like that. <laughs> I just think the players aren't very good, like evaluator of those things. But uh, keep going, you're saying, Mike, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, I was just going to say real quick, like, I think Deshaun was wrong in his evaluation of the franchise. The fact that he signed the extension was a mistake in that it makes his thought process look either inconsistent or hypocritical, pick either or both. But it ultimately is not like dispositive for me or not like the breaking point, because even if he hadn't signed it, they still wouldn't want to trade him and they would still have a lot of control. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are like some impacts because of finances and the signing bonus and the no trade clause. But like at its core, at its very core, 
Watson signing the extension for me is not a huge deal personally. And I get where people would disagree with that. Yeah. My, the only thing I don't like about the NFL with the way the contracts are set up is a, is a franchise tag. Cause it limits player mobility. But like, I, I don't want to have the franchise tag one player. Like if you want a guy, you should be able to understand you want him or not give him a long-term contract because I'll what their players are. But as somebody signing a four-year contract and have everything occurred to it, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't like everything that's happened with the Watson situation, the saga. I know Houston, you know, let him down. I know Houston let him down every step of the way. But just the decision to stay here long term, uh, you know, kind of irks me in that way. I think maybe it's just because I'm close. It hurts my feelings, and I wish Watson, you know, yeah. would would be here, would be here the next head coach, and the Texans have botched us so poorly. But like I don't, I again, I don't like the idea of a guy signing contract, getting traded, and then what that leads to the next thing. But I do think the NFL shouldn't have a franchise tag and. I hate the franchise tag because it, it limits player mobility, but I think there's a sweet spot between the two. And, you know, we're, we're the football, I guess football, if this Watson trade opens the door to it, there's too far in each direction that if that occurs. And I ultimately think that like, listen, the, the cat's out of the bag, as Jeremy was saying earlier, like once it happens once there's a precedent and if it happens to both Watson and Wilson this offseason, like it's going to happen again. I don't know who, I don't know where, but it is going to happen again and it's going to be a more regular occurrence in the league. And it almost makes you feel kind of like, like they sell the NFL as like, you should be a fan of a team. Maybe it's just better being a fan of a player essentially, because then you can move around with a player and you're not stuck with like lousy ownership for decades or lousy GMs or head coaches for five years at a time. And maybe just, you're just better off being a fan of a, of a player over a team essentially. Yeah. Or, or the game itself and be mentally, mentally ill like me and watch every condensed yeah. game I can and, and see if I can watch 256 games, which is very difficult to do, but uh, <laughs> you can't catch up and do it eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, I know you have to go at 335. Um, is there anything that you want to plug at all or how can we listen to you and, sure. and that sort of thing? Uh, a couple of things. So as far as like Houston sports stuff, uh, the Stutes cast, uh, the in the group chat podcast with myself, Cody Stutes and Landry Locker, we post usually every Tuesday morning. Uh, I'll be relaunching my uh, my podcast, the Mike Meltzer podcast, which is more of a sports law focused podcast. I'll have an episode up about a big Supreme Court with case with the NCAA uh, and what they'll do. That'll be up in about 10 days from right now. And if you have Sirius XM, I'm on Mad Dog Sports Radio most weekends. Uh, I'll be on tomorrow from 2 to 6 Central and next Sunday, 2 to 5 Central before uh, Selection Sunday. I love it. I'm, very, I'm, I'm excited to check that out if I had Sirius XM. But, uh, <laughs> I'll be on the lookout for the podcast, though, and we'll have to talk, I guess, whenever more Watson stuff happens, and uh, especially if a trade occurs, that sort of thing, too. That sounds great. I appreciate you guys, and it's cool that you're doing this. So have a great rest of your day, and thank you guys for the invitation. Yeah, you have a good day, Mike. It's great talking to you. You too. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.